verses 33 and 37, or through 37, I should say, uh, together this morning. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. All right, I want to introduce this uh, this way. When speaking to the church in Laodicea, uh, Paul did, or I'm sorry, John did that in the book of Revelation, seven different churches. Uh, this comes from the letter that he wrote to the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. John reported these words of Jesus to the church that existed in the town of Laodicea. Jesus said through John, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, what is Jesus talking about? What's going on here? Uh, and and what, what did he mean by that? What he means is there are people that say they belong to God, but they're very lukewarm about that. They don't really get too hot for Jesus Christ. And sometimes they're a little cold and this says to this, this church in Laodicea, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That means there's something distasteful there that he doesn't like. And we're to understand that Jesus is not at all in favor of half-hearted followers. He's not interested in those who are on again, off again believers. He is looking for believers who are all in. They're not fence straddlers or people who play on both sides of the field. He is not interested in our hypocrisy. He wants us to be what we really are, and what he wants us to be is sold out for Jesus Christ. It does no, no, no one any good to pretend to be something that he or she is not. Jesus is not in favor of those kinds of things. Those who say they are good but do not live good, in a good way bring confusion to everyone, because if you're not living in a good way, there's sin there, and sin always confuses things. Jesus said of the lukewarm that he will spit them out of his mouth. Now this may be a figure of speech where he means that he will speak a command of judgment against that person and we do know that we're all going to answer for every little word that comes out of our mouth and I'm, I'm glad the Lord has a way to speed that judgment up or it would take a long time. We really don't want ourselves to be one of those people who are facing God's judgment in the area of what comes out of our mouth. And the truth is, what comes out of our mouth, the Bible says, is who we really are inside. So we don't see that fruit growing on people and judge by that, but we listen and we can hear what they're saying with their mouth because God says that reveals what's really in their heart. So I want to challenge all of this, myself included, right? I mean, uh, I, I get to preach this to myself twice, once to you and once when I wrote it. Uh, so I'm convicted already. So you guys get convicted and join me, huh? Here's what the text says in uh, Matthew 12, 33 to 37. <clears throat> now remember, Jesus is still addressing mostly the religious leaders of the day, right? And they just got through saying back in verse 28, hey everybody, don't pay attention to Jesus because that demon he just cast out, he did that by the power of Satan. So they're, they're way, really against Jesus. They're not saying what's true about Jesus. And so with that in mind, he says in verse 33, uh, I think speaking to these religious leaders, either make the tree good or its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now that's something he taught us earlier. We'll look at that here in, in a few minutes, but uh, we're aware that this is the truth. Then he says to the leadership of Israel, the religious leaders, he says, you brood of vipers, 
How can you, being evil, okay, just stop here for a minute, okay? Jesus has the attention of the Pharisees and the Sadducees around him, people from the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the entire nation, the upper crust of those who follow God, and what he says to them, listen up, you brood of snakes, you are evil people. No, that is not going to win your friends in the Sanhedrin if you're going to talk like that. Uh, but Jesus tells them the truth. I think in the best way that he can. Jesus said, how can I tell these people what they really are in the kindest way? And I think this is it. You brood of snakes, you evil people. Uh, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? Now, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is, you can't. Why? Because a bad tree produces bad fruit. That's why. And what's bad on the inside is going to come out on the outside. He says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So what he's saying about the heart of these religious leaders is very simply, you guys are snakes. You're poisonous snakes. And what comes out of your mouth is deadly. And your tongue is sharp. You sharpen your tongue so that when you say things, you really know how to cut somebody up and slice them. We'll talk more about that. He goes on to say in verse 35, the good man brings out of his good treasure. Again, talking about the heart. What is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure, which is a rotten heart, what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. Now, when you're one of the religious leaders and you're listening to this, what Jesus just called you, and you know what he's talking about. He, he know, you know that he's not happy with you saying he does his work by Satan, not by the Spirit of God. And what he's telling them is every single word you have that is careless, and it's careless to say that the Spirit of God didn't do something. Instead, Satan did it. That's very careless. Every, you will give an account for in the day of your judgment. For, here's the reason, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, even though that's addressed to them, we can take this to heart, right? We can look at this and say, you know what? There's times my mouth has run off with me, and there's times I've said things I wish I hadn't said, then I have to go apologize for, and when I get angry, things come out that shouldn't be said and I shouldn't talk about, and yet there they are. Someday I get to give an account. I can't take it back. I can apologize, say I'm sorry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to answer for those careless words, and the answer, I'm sure, is going to have to be, I'm guilty. And there's nothing I can do about it except I'm covered by the blood of Christ. So, Lord, I know your forgiveness covers that, but, yeah, I'll admit I'm, in, I'm guilty. Now let's look at this a little bit closer. I want to take verse 33 first. And what that said was, Jesus speaking to the crowds, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now let's look at that for a minute. And if you're following in your bulletin, that number one point there, verse 33 is, the fruit we produce will show clearly what kind of a heart we have. The fruit we produce, he's talking about what comes out of our mouth, is going to show clearly what kind of a heart we have. So if you want somebody to know what's in your heart, just start talking. Uh, if you meet somebody that never talks and never says anything, it's going to be hard to figure out what's going on in their heart. But when the mouth is open, it's a, it's a direct line right to the heart. There is a difference of opinion among uh, commentators, we'll say Bible students, about what Jesus is saying in this particular verse. I'm talking about verse 33, right? He is saying, look at the fruit of the tree and you will know what kind of tree it is. At least that's what some people think he's saying. Just look at the tree, see the fruit, and you'll know what kind of tree it is. Or others have said, is he saying that we need to be honest about who we are because the fruit should determine 
good or bad in itself. Now, that's what some others have postulated for what this verse is about. Well, he's already talked about a bad tree bearing bad fruit back in Matthew 7, 17. So it's really not a surprise that he would say this. He said it before, and I just wanted to turn back and, and read that, Matthew 7, 17. So every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And when we went through that, we said that's a determination that if you're shown to be bad and the fruit is bad, guess where you get to go when you die? You go to a place called hell. And we don't want people to go there, so we tell them about Jesus. And that means uh, there's going to be a change in our life as well. So I'm wondering why would he say the same thing again right here to the same group of people? Maybe there's something else going on here. In the Greek uh, text of this verse, there is an either-or situation. I find it interesting in the book of Revelation, uh, God wants people to quit vacillating, being hypocrites, and just be who they really are. That would be easier for everybody, easier to spot who's who. And they have this interesting verse in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 11. Uh, The prophet says this by God's word, Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Now that's that's a verse about uh, at this point you better not be a hypocrite. Okay, if you're rotten, stay rotten. If you're if you're righteous, then stay righteous. And in the context, that would make more sense uh, than than maybe what we're talking about right now. But Jesus is saying in in this text in Matthew. Either make the tree to be good or make the tree to be bad. Now, Dr. Turner talked about this, and I think he's right. He says that this comes close to when he said the Pharisees must make a consistent decision. And I think that's what's going on here. So having told you what other Bible students think and commentators think, and it's kind of muddled right now, I think that here's what's happened in verse 33. Jesus is fed up to hear with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's had it with them. And he says, look, you guys, either make the tree good and the fruit good or make the tree bad and the fruit bad. I think he's talking about himself. I think he's talking about their opinion of him. And what he's saying is, look, look at the fruit. At least say, since the fruit is good, the tree has to be good. So let's make it that way. Or if you think what I'm doing is bad, then just say it's bad. Your, your, Your works are bad, your miracles are bad, and you're bad. Because you don't go against this truism that a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And so I think he's calling them out. It may be that Jesus is challenging them to not only fix their own lives, but to decide based on the fruit that Jesus is producing for heaven's sake. They've seen it everywhere. He's healing everybody. He's freeing people from demonic spirits. He's doing miracles. That looks like good fruit to everybody else but them. And for them to decide, look, if he's right, let's look at the fruit and see what he's doing. And we have to conclude he's a good tree. And I think Jesus is calling on them to do that. Uh, Or to just simply say he's not a good tree, make it known, and let's get on with it. They need to get with the program if anything good will ever come for them from God. They need to see who Jesus really is. People today need to see who Jesus really is. They need to see, is he who he says he is? Is he good? Did he do the works of God? Or is he a fake and a charlatan and a liar? Is that who he really is? And some people choose that. But look at what he does. 
Look at how he does it and judge from that. I think you would agree with me that Jesus was never lukewarm. God never had to decide, boy, I hope Jesus gets passionate about this over here. You know, I, I, he's too passionate. No, he never said that. Jesus is not lukewarm. Let me put it this way. He is fire engine red hot for the things of the Father. Even in days when they didn't have a fire engine. He's that hot. There are no wishy-washy ways with Jesus. His fruit is consistent and it is always good. Anybody should be able to look at it and say, well, then the man must be good himself. Look at the fruit. The spiritually blind guides of Israel are in danger of getting spit out of God's mouth in a hurry here. And it's like a little kid. Uh, I love to watch little kids put something in their mouth that they don't like. And out it comes. And they just spit it out. It's all over the place. Uh, it doesn't taste good to them. It's terrible to them. And that's what we, we taste like to God. Speaking of the uh, issue of the illustration of the fruit, that's what we feel like to God if we're just lukewarm. So I have to ask myself, you have to ask yourself, ask yourself today, what kind of a Christian am I? Am I on fire for Jesus Christ? Am I red hot for Jesus Christ? Or am I just lukewarm? And if we're lukewarm, we don't want to get spit out, so we need to do something about that. Now, I think he changes a little bit because he's addressing the religious leaders directly now uh, because they haven't been able to determine that he is the right thing. So in verse 34, again, you brood of vipers. In other words, you collection of snakes. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? And the answer is they can't. Why? Because they're evil inside. Amazing. They wear the robes of a priest. Once in a while, there's somebody that wears the robes of the high priest. They wear the robes that show that they're prayer warriors. They have tassels all over the place, and they've got, you know, the priests wear the ephod, and they look like very holy and religious people. God says, no, in fact, you're snakes, and you're full of evil. That's why he's going to say in chapter 23, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you guys look really good. Maybe the ladies put some flowers out around the tombs. They've painted them. Oh, what a beautiful place. Open it up. He says, you're full of dead men's bones. There's no spiritual life there. He says, here's why I say that. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And if you can stand there and say that the good fruit of Jesus Christ came from Satan, there's something wrong with your heart because it's coming out of your mouth that way. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Now, I think that's something we can bank on. Uh, Jesus has said this many times, and what he's telling us is just listen to a person and what comes out of their mouth will soon tell you what their heart condition really is. Jesus said, you can count on that. And he's saying this, you know, in terms of uh, uh, lambasting the uh, leaders of, of the spiritual things in Israel. So we learn here that whatever a man treasures in his heart is that which will come out of his mouth. What's he think about all the time? What is he all about? That's what's going to come out of his mouth. Or, or a lady, if that would be true too. So in the first part of verse 34, Jesus addresses his opponents as respectful as I think they deserve, and he is saying that they are the offspring of vipers in the text, and uh, likely uh, he's talking about sand vipers, and usually this term points to poisonous snakes. So Jesus is saying, when you guys are talking, the rottenness of your heart comes out, and what's coming out is that you're a snake, and it's poison. You're going to kill people with what you say. We are, in, we are encouraged to associate the religious leaders with serpents of old from the garden, if you will. He's always up to no good. 
His words are always poisonous. I was struck here the other day uh, in Psalm 140, so I want to go back there and read that. Not the whole psalm, but Psalm 140. David is going to say something about uh, some evil men, some evil and wicked men. One of the things they do is found in verse 3. So Psalm 140, verse 3. It says, they sharpen their tongues as a serpent's. How many of you have ever seen a serpent's tongue? Huh? You know, it's forked, very thin, looks kind of sharp, although it's soft, right? But he says, they, they sharpen their tongues as a serpent's. Now, you'd have to file on your tongue a long time to get it that sharp. Jesus is saying these people sit around thinking about how can my words do the most damage? How can I really cut this person to ribbons with a sharp tongue? So he's not actually talking about a literal sharpness of the tongue, right? What he's talking about is people that spend time thinking about how can I say this so that there's nothing left of you when I'm done? I'm going to cut you to ribbons with my tongue. And he goes on to say, Poison of a viper is under their lips. So they cut you, they inject it with poison, and the whole idea is your death. The whole idea is that you don't survive. And that's basically what Jesus is saying about these people. Uh, they're always up to no good, their words are poisonous, and they're meant to harm. How would you like to go to the temple service or at home there in the sanctuary service of the synagogue and know that your teacher, Jesus, thinks is somebody cutting people to ribbons and causing them to have poison so that they die spiritually. It would kind of make you not want to go to the synagogue anymore or the temple. Because they treasure in their hearts wickedness and evil, and because the Pharisees are evil, they cannot speak what is truly good. This despite the fact that they want people to believe them when they say that Jesus is a tool of Satan. They are saying uh, this statement, and it's not good. It's not right. Because they are evil on the inside from their heart, what comes out of their mouth is not good. Do you suppose that Jesus offended religious leaders with these statements? Did Jesus ever irritate people with the truth of his word? Of course he did. You go back to chapter 15, uh, I'm sorry, up to chapter 15, verse 12, and the disciples uh, want him to know that he just irritated the Pharisees, and the disciples came and said to him, uh, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Uh, so today, you know, we're, we're called on not to offend anybody with the gospel or not to offend anybody with the truth of the word. I'm here to tell you, you can't not offend people who are sinners, who are enemies of God, who don't love God. You can't find a way to, to not offend them unless you take away the offense of the gospel. Unless, unless you're going to tell them you're not really sinners. Unless you're going to say you're not really bound for hell. Hell's just a myth. It doesn't exist. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. God's so happy with you, you'll just get right in. And that's what people want to hear. And they don't want to hear there's a hell, it's real, and you're going to go there if you don't make Jesus Christ your Savior. And so that's why some of them don't like us at all, because we're trying to speak the truth. We're trying to speak it in love. And Jesus irritated with pe people with his gospel message. We have the same gospel message. They're going to get irritated with us as well. So we try to speak it in, in love, but we also don't want to bypass the truth. Uh, the truth, as well as our gospel, offends people. We live in a day where people not only don't want to hear it, but they are working so that we can't say it anymore. And those are going to be tough days ahead. Once again, in verse 34b, he reiterates that the mouth speaks what is treasured up in its heart. 
And I'm pretty sure you would agree with, uh, with me that all of us are sinners, right? Uh, no one is perfect with their mouth. No one always says the right thing or doesn't say anything wrong. We still have the old capacity of sin, and our words sometimes reflect uh, that, that very truth. But it should not be a normal way of life for us. It would be something that we, we put in check, something that we hold, something that we watch and we pray and, and uh, put good things in our hearts so good things will come out. Two, sometimes it takes a while for a new nature in a person. If you just became a Christian, and before that you were a cussing sailor. Uh, I hate to pick on sailors all the time, but I don't know it's the best way to go. There's certainly no cussing farmers, right? Two, sometimes it takes a while for that new nature to gain control in a person. So if a man used to cuss every other word when he tried to talk to people uh, before he knew Christ, then he comes to Christ, he may have to work on narrowing that down a little by little and eradicating it as much as possible. Sometimes it just comes out. I just had a guy on the phone this week that uh, let out a cuss word and then apologized for it and gave me a slang word for the cuss word. And I said, you know, it's, it's all right. Just go ahead with what you're trying to tell me. And he he can't, can't talk without cussing. And I've been around people, they can't say a single sentence without at least one cuss word. Uh, when you're around those people, uh, the contrast becomes clearer about what Jesus is talking about. If they can't say anything without blurting all these cuss words out, then there's something wrong in their heart, and that's kind of hard, hard to hide. They can't hide it. Some of them don't care to hide it. God says what comes out of your mouth is important because you're revealing what's in your heart to people. And if there is good, a good man or a good woman, he or she will speak out of the treasure of their heart, which is a good treasure. Uh, they heed the scripture of Ephesians 5, 4. What's that say? Well, let's just look at it. Ephesians 5, 4. It says, And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know for certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So we watch what we're saying. Uh, I wanted to read another passage that's very familiar to us, uh, one that's not particularly my favorite because uh, it makes me feel like uh, I'm, I'm guilty. And it says in verse 1 of James chapter 3, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. I've often wondered what that's going to be like. You Sunday school teachers out there, you want leaders out there, uh, pastors, you need to pay attention to this. You are going to incur a stricter judgment. Why? Because you know the word of God. Wow, how did it go for the Pharisees when they stood before the throne? Probably not well. For we all stumble in many ways. We're all in this. There's, there's no one righteous. No, not one. We're all stumbling in many ways. Why? Because we still have the sin nature. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, which is the hardest place not to stumble, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And I think sometimes in little towns like ours, uh, you can see the fire a lot more clearly than you can in a big city where people hide and you don't hear everything. And the tongue is a fire, the very word of it, world of iniquity, and the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by fiery hell. 
Where'd that come from? James says, from fiery hell. For every species of beasts and bird and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. James says, brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening fresh and bitter water? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives and a vine produce figs? Well, no. Nor can salt water produce fresh. And a bad heart can't produce good things. And that's where that's going. Well, those who know Jesus have good hearts and they put them to work with what they say and how they talk for the good of the kingdom. It kind of works this way. An example is uh, for you uh, farmers out there and mechanics. Today we have uh, tier four diesel engines. And some of them, if they're big enough, they have to have diesel, uh, diesel EDEF is what it's called, diesel exhaust fuel. Uh, so that what comes out of the exhaust is better than exhaust without those things. It's supposed to be pure, cleaner, better for people. So what the point is, is what you put into the tank is going to bring out something that should be acceptable. Here, diesel and death. Well, uh, the evil man, uh, you don't have to listen long to find out what he went and put into his heart and uh, what they are treasuring. And I've noticed they, that the men especially love to tell that in dirty jokes. I was with one of our church people once. We ran into one of their relatives, and the relative comes up, you know, doesn't know me from Adam, and he starts into this, I could tell it's going to be a rather filthy joke. And my, my friend is trying to stop him, and he's doing everything. He goes, oh, oh, hey, hey, Bob. I don't, his name wasn't Bob. Uh, this week I called a man for a half a day by a name that really turns out wasn't his name, but he answered. So, But anyway, uh, uh, Bob says, hey, 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 Bob, Bob, Bob. Uh, I'd like you to meet Pastor Greg Hubbard. This is the Reverend Greg Hubbard. He, so the guy just like deer in the headlights. He tries to change his joke without all the filthiness. And, and it probably wasn't funny with the filthy stuff, but it was absolutely not funny without it. And uh, we, we politely laughed. Oh, that was terrible. Uh, but, uh, you know, boy, you have to stop them. And they don't even think about it. They think everybody else wants to hear that. I've been in restaurants where people think we want to hear the F word while they're eating and, and angry and stuff like that. And I just don't want to hear that. Uh, we, we just need to ask, what am I treasuring in my heart? And I'm asking that for me. You ask that for you. That's up to you and God. Do I have music that glorifies Satan? Uh, do, am I reading romance novels? Am I watching films that glorify magic and make kids want to have magic? Or occult activities? Am I accepting the new gender ridiculousness that's going on. Remember, Jesus told us where our treasure is, that is where our heart will be. So where's my heart? What do I treasure there? And it's a good question. Verse 36 and verse 37. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Here's the reason. By your words, you will be justified, or by your words, you will be condemned. Well, we learn here that even careless words are significant, since by our words, we will be judged. Somehow, God has the capacity to remember every thought we've ever had, every motive, 
every word that we've ever spoken, anything that's come out of our mouth for your whole life. And so God knows everything I've done, said, thought of, my motive, everything I've done. Now for almost 65 years, he's, it's perfectly recorded. Sometimes I remind myself or somebody says, hey, remember when we did that? And I, no, I don't, have a, I don't have a clue. I don't remember that at all. God remembers it all, even every thought, every motive. On the day of judgment then, what we're all facing here, you can't get out of it, is that every worthless, empty word that we speak, we have to give an account of. I think this probably means that when we give an account of bad words, empty words, it will come in the form of admitting, yes, I did that, and accepting God's judgment as is required by them, which means loss of reward in heaven. Not a loss of your salvation. That's never true. But reward. Christians are not judged for their salvation. That's a done deal if they're a Christian. This is absolutely talking about loss of reward in heaven uh, where we are made accountable, where we are responsible for careless words. And uh, I'm sure, you know, we think about that. We probably each have a, a mountain of those. There is a day where every Christian will be judged for their sins, and the consequences of those are a loss of reward, not our Christianity, not our place in heaven, but our reward, and we're supposed to be working for that reward. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, talks about that. Let me just read that briefly. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment. Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The Bible promises those bad things God will burn up, he will destroy, and you'll never hear about them again. The only way they're going to show up is that reward that you could have had is not going to be there. And so we suffer loss that way. So I guess, you know, you're like me. We're going, to, we're going to do our best to try to not talk that way, not say those things. We have less to answer for so that we can have more of our reward. Now, because words reveal the nature of our heart in verse 37, whether it's regenerate or unregenerate, meaning whether it's Christian or not Christian, it is our words that will either justify us or bring condemnation because that shows our heart. That's very important stuff. So I believe here, because of the context, the judgment here is for eternal life, either in heaven or in hell. And I believe that the Lord has in mind here the fact that the Pharisees are saying to the people that Jesus works by Satan and that he is not the Son of God. Certainly, this is the foundational issue of denying Christ. There is no question that there are evil inside of them. There's no question that there's evil there. And so that's a good illustration of that. Certainly, this is the foundation of, of the, the issue of denying Christ, which we don't want to do. This is what the test in 1 John 4, 1 to 4 is. Brethren, test every spirit to see if they're of God. And the way you find that out is what do they teach about Jesus? What do they teach about God? What do they teach about the Bible? Does it jive with what the Bible actually says? Again, it's, it's their words. And uh, we, we have the warning then in Matthew 10, 32 to 33. It's going to help if I'm in chapter 10. Here we go. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, you do that with your mouth and, and your actions, I will also confess him before my father. Yeah, yeah, that's Greg. I know him. Or, yeah, that's Greg. I never had a relationship with him. 
My apology to the other Gregs in the con congregation. I was talking about myself, okay? Uh, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Well, the warning is this. The greatest careless words that could come out of a person's mouth is that Jesus is not the Messiah, that Jesus is not the Savior, that Jesus is not real. There is no recovery from that if a person stays that way their whole life. No recovery from that. Well, uh, let's look at a few applications from this, shall we? If you're on your bulletin there, number one, certainly we will never want to disown Jesus from our hearts because it's going to come out our mouths. Certainly we never want to disown Jesus from our hearts, which will come out of our mouths. And then the evidence will be there. Secondly, this should really make us think twice about speaking careless, empty, and worthless things. Thirdly, our judgment will not be limited to just what we say on Sundays. <laughs> we might be a whole lot better off if the Lord only judged how'd you do on Sunday. You know, some of us would, some of us maybe wouldn't. But it's not that. It's every day, every hour of the day, every minute. And finally this. Jesus is always listening to what comes out of our mouths. Think about that. What we say shows what we treasure in our hearts. And I know, like me, what you want to have come out of your mouth are those things that are uh, concrete in terms of saying we love Jesus and he's important to us and we care about him. Now we're going to uh, go into a time of communion. I hope you all have your uh, communion cups with you.